0: Good morning and welcome again. We're glad you're here today. We are looking at Acts chapter 2 verse 44 for our study this morning. We're going to be talking about the model church. We appreciate so much your presence. I know that we have a number of folks that are away since it is spring break. Doesn't feel like spring. Doesn't doesn't feel like spring break time. But we're glad that some can travel and visit with family and friends and see new places. And we pray that if you're traveling, you'll have a safe journey. Today as we look at Acts chapter 2, we're going to be talking about the model church. Sometimes it's helpful to come to the scriptures with, as we say from time to time, a fresh set of eyes. There are times in life when we look at passages of scripture, we read certain scriptures, and because we have read them over and over and over again, we fail to really see the significance of what is there. And so today I want us to look at Acts chapter 2. And think for a moment or two about the model church because as we look at Acts chapter 2, it is a pivotal chapter. Really very pivotal in the grand scheme of things because as you well know, chapter 2 provides us with a glimpse into the birth of the New Testament church. And the book of Acts is a book of action. When we read the book of Acts... And we come to Acts chapter 2, we read of the birth of the church. And from that birth, the Bible speaks of her infancy and then her rapid growth. And so we want to think for a moment or two about what is said in the text. Now in Acts chapter 2, verse 44, Luke records for us, Now all who believed, let me just pause there for a minute. First and foremost, we're talking about the sanctified here. The sanctified are those who believe. that is, they had obeyed the gospel. When we obey the gospel, there are two things that happen. First, there is a translation. Secondly, there is a transformation. In Colossians chapter 1, Paul, in writing to the church at Colossae, talked about how they had been delivered out of the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of God's dear son. And he said, it is in that sphere that they enjoyed redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. And so, Luke here speaks of those who have been sanctified. The word sanctified means to be set apart. We are set apart from the world under God. We ultimately belong to Him. And so, Luke, in recording this chapter for us, providing us with a historical glimpse into the birth of the New Testament Church, speaks of those that experienced this translation. First, they believed in Christ. Back in Acts chapter 2, verse 22, when the Apostle Peter spoke by inspiration, those apostles on that day were endowed with the baptismal measure of the Holy Spirit. And they spoke as the Spirit gave them utterance. And so Peter said, You men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by Him in your midst, as ye yourselves also know. So they knew about Jesus. Some of these very people had been present for the crucifixion. And so they were believers in Christ. Now the Bible tells us that Peter said in his gospel presentation, Let all the house of Israel know assuredly that this same Jesus whom you have crucified, that God has made him both Lord and Christ. When they heard this, they were cut or pricked in their hearts. And so they cried out to Peter and the rest of the apostles, and they said, What shall we do? And listen to what Peter said. Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins. So here were people that believed in Christ, and based upon their belief in Christ and conviction about the Christ, they were baptized into Christ. Now verse 41 tells us that those who received His Word, those who gladly received His Word, were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. So they believed in Christ, they were baptized into Christ, as a result of that they came in contact with the blood of Christ. Why do we need to come into contact with the blood of Christ? Well Paul said in Colossians chapter 1 verse 14 that it's in Christ that we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Paul would say in Ephesians 1 7 that it is according to His great riches. And so I think about the blood of Christ. In order for us to appropriate the blood of Christ, we have to go where it was shed. Where was it shed? In death. Jesus died on Calvary. And the Bible says He shed His blood, John 19, 34. So when we're baptized into Christ, we contact the blood of Christ. That's why Paul would write in Romans chapter 6, verse 3, Know ye not that all we who were baptized into Christ, he said we were baptized into His death. So we're baptized into the death of Christ. We contact the blood of Christ, and we become members of the body of Christ. Look at verse 47. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. The saved were a part of the body. Well, what's the body? He's the head of the body of the church, Colossians 1.18. So here were people that became members of the blood-bought body, of Jesus Christ. Well how did they become a member of the blood-bought body of Christ? They obeyed the gospel. They were baptized into Christ. Do you remember Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 13? By one spirit were you all baptized into one body. So here we're talking about people that had experienced a translation. They had been delivered out of the power of darkness and placed in the kingdom of God's dear Son. But then there's a second thing. First, there is translation. Secondly, there is transformation. When you become a child of God, you become, as Paul would say, a new creation in Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Paul said, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. That is, our present state is that of being among the saved, the redeemed, the cleansed, the sanctified. We belong to the body of Christ. Our past is behind us. Listen to him. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. It's not what you were, it's what you are. Whatever was in your past is in your past once you obey the gospel. Luke, of course, recording for us those who obeyed the gospel. And they enjoyed the cleansing power of the blood of Christ. And in that state today, we can live in hope of life eternal. Now let me just make this observation very quickly. Sometimes people worry about their past. And they have this idea that there's no way God would ever forgive them. Well, Luke records for us those who were present on Pentecost Day. And Peter, in preaching the first gospel sermon... The Bible tells us He indicted them as having taken the Son of God and crucified Him. Some of these people had a part in the death of Jesus. When Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, he said, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? He said, Neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, thieves, covetous, drunkards, extortioners, revilers, shall inherit the kingdom of God? And then he said, But such were some of you. But you were washed. He said you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. There you have it. The past versus the present. So first we think about these people as being the sanctified. Secondly, not only were they the sanctified, but they were the unified. Look at verse 44 again. Now all who believed were together. They were unified, weren't they? Here you have this cohesive body, the body of Christ, and they are all of one accord. There's a sense of togetherness, of unity pervading the body. Now, as I think about the unity that existed in the first century church, and here Luke is telling us about these first century Christians that had obeyed the gospel. They were the sanctified, but they were also the unified. They were unified in their indoctrination about the Lord. How do I know that? Well, look at verse 42. Luke said they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, that is, in the teaching of Christ. In order for us to be what we ought to be, we have to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, don't we? We have to be willing to obey his word, to do what he says. Do you remember Jesus asked the question on one occasion, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? And yet Jesus would also say, in light of that, If you love me, keep my commandments. Jesus said the acid test by which we know whether or not we're one of His disciples is if we follow in His Word, John 8, verse 31. And the Lord said, You shall know the truth, the truth shall make you free. John wrote in 1 John chapter 3 verse 4 or chapter 2 verse 4 hereby we do know that we know him if what if we keep his commandments so here were first century saints intent on following the doctrine the teaching of Christ what does that breed unity doesn't it when Paul wrote to the church at Corinth he chided them for their division And He said, in order to correct the division that exists among you, here's what you need. You need to all speak the same thing. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10. So, they were unified in their indoctrination about the Lord. But they were also unified in their veneration of the Lord. Listen again to what the Bible says. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, And fellowship in the breaking of bread and prayers. One of the things that held the early church together, their worship. Did you know that a child of God, that as a child of God, one of the great opportunities that we have is to come before the Lord and to worship Him, to bow in His presence, to give Him the honor, the adoration that He is due? The psalmist said, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. In John chapter 4, when Jesus engaged in dialogue with a woman from Samaria at Jacob's well, Jesus said, The hour is coming when all all who worship the Father will worship Him in spirit and in truth. And He said, The Father seeks such to worship Him. So God wants us to worship Him. These people engaged in worship to God, didn't they? They were praising God. I think about praising God corporately and also individually. Look, if you would, at verse, look at verse 46. So continually, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Now note. Praising God and having favor with all the people. As a Christian, don't you have multiple reasons for living a life filled with joy and praise? When Paul wrote to the saints in Philippi, you think about Here's Paul imprisoned, chained to a Roman guard. And yet here he is in about A.D. 62. He's writing to the church at Philippi and he said, Rejoice in the Lord! And again, I say rejoice. Well, why? Well, number one, because you've been forgiven. Because you're a child of God. You belong to the body of Christ. You're among the saved. And as a forgiven member of the body of Christ, you have tremendous blessings. You have all spiritual blessings in Christ, according to to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. You're a rich person. Matter of fact, you have a fortune at your disposal. Because you belong to the King. And so as a child of God, Paul could say, look, as a Christian, you ought to be filled with praise and joy and adoration. Isn't it true today? You think about all the blessings and favors that you have? You have been pardoned by Almighty God. You have the peace of God. As Paul would say, it passes all understanding, Philippians chapter 4, verse 7. You have the presence of God in your life every day. Paul said in Philippians chapter 4 verse 5, The Lord is at hand. In other words, He's nearby. And the Hebrew writer said, Speaking of God, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. So the Lord is always with you. And then you can pray to God. Peter said, The eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. His ears are open unto their prayers. Now you tell me, as a child of God, shouldn't we be grateful? Shouldn't we live in praise and adoration to Him? Should we not come together on the first day of the week and be grateful to the God of heaven? Should we not praise Him every day that we live here on planet Earth because of all the blessings and favors that we enjoy in Christ? The answer is yes, a hundred times over. So, they were unified, unified in their indoctrination of the Lord. They were unified in their veneration of the Lord or adoration of the Lord, and they were unified in their glorification of the Lord. Listen again to what the text tells us. All who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. Did you know that as a Christian you have been saved to serve? You're a servant. Paul said, we have been created in Christ Jesus under good works. In other words, we're God's masterpiece. As a masterpiece of God, what He wants is that we serve in His kingdom. The early church, what did they do? They recognized that there were needs existing among fellow Christians. And so, as the opportunity presented itself, they reached out and helped those people. Was that like Jesus? Yes. Did Jesus not say, I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat? He said, I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was naked, you clothed me, I was a stranger, you took me in. I was sick and in prison, and you came unto me. Jesus said, Inasmuch as you do it to one of these least of my brethren, you did it unto me. The Bible tells us that we have the opportunity to serve, to help others. To be benevolent. Paul said, as we have opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially those who are of the household of faith. In the book of Titus, in chapter 2, at verse 7, Paul said that as a child of God, we ought to show ourselves as a pattern of good works. In other words, you live in such a way so that when people look at your life, they see somebody who models good works. We have been created in Christ Jesus unto good works. In Titus 2 verse 14, Paul said, be zealous of good works. In chapter 3 verse 1, he said, you be ready unto every good work. Chapter 3 verse 8, be careful to maintain good works. Do you see a theme there? What's Paul saying? He's saying, look, you've been saved. As somebody who has been saved as a child of of God, you have the opportunity to be involved in the work of the kingdom, the greatest work known to man to be a part of the greatest institution known to man. So here were people that were sanctified, they were unified as a result of all of that. Thirdly, they multiplied. Look if you would at verse 47 again. It says of the first century saints, they praised God, having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Do you know why the early church grew? Do you know why when you read the book of Acts, there is this accelerated growth? And it is over and over and over again taking place. You know why that was. you know why that was? First, because there was a proclamation of the Lord. In Acts chapter 3, the Bible talks about how Peter and John healed a lame man at the gate of the temple in Jerusalem. As a result of that, they drew the ire of the Jewish Sanhedrin, the religious leaders of that day. And the Bible says in chapter 4 that they preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And then in chapter 4, verse 4, here's what the text tells us. Many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. Peter and John were apprehended. They were called on the carpet, as we would say, and they were interrogated about the healing of this lame man. And so here is the apostle Peter, and he says in verse 12, and really he's throwing the gauntlet down here. He said, neither is there salvation in any other. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So, it's not about the law of Moses anymore, it's about Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one. Now look at verse 13. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, the Bible says they marveled. Now note, and they realized they had been with Jesus. Do you know why the first century church grew at such a rapid rate? Because here was a nucleus of people that had spent time with Jesus. And because of the time they had spent with the Lord, there was a sense in which they were absolutely convicted. Undergirding that conviction, or rather, undergirding that conviction was courage. They had the courage to stand up, speak up, and shout from the housetops the gospel of Christ. The Bible tells us these folks had been with Jesus. If the church is going to grow today, we've got to spend time with the Lord. And the only way we can spend time with the Lord is by spending time with Him in His Word. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Read about the life of Jesus. You have a very abbreviated glimpse into the life of Christ, don't you? The Bible speaks of His birth, His boyhood, and then His three-and-a-half-year ministry. In three and a half years, Jesus revolutionized the world. Two thousand years later, we're still talking about Him. So here's the Son of God, who came, lived and died for the sins of the human family. And so the Bible tells us that these men were threatened, verse 17. They were not to speak in this name. Look at verse 18. They called them, commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But look if you would at verse 19. Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Number one, that's courage. Number two, that's conviction. Do you have that kind of courage? Do you have that kind of conviction? We talk about preaching the gospel. The gospel is God's power to salvation. People can't be saved if they don't hear the message. You've got to sow. You've got to go. If you sow and go, guess what? Growth results. You've got to sow. You've got to go. And then as a result of that, growth comes forth. So first, there was the proclamation of the Lord. Secondly, Not only was there the proclamation of the Lord, but there was the consecration to the Lord. These folks were consecrated. When they were commanded not to speak nor teach in the name of Jesus, and they said, look, you need to understand something. We can't but speak the things which we have seen and heard. I want to ask you today, very quickly, how consecrated are you to the cause of Christ? When we talk about living the Christian life, is it your life? Do you remember what Paul said in Galatians Galatians chapter 2, verse 20? It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Colossians chapter 3, verse 4, he said, when Christ, who is our life? Do you remember Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness? As a child of God, have you consecrated your life to the Lord? Have you consecrated your life to the Lord? Have you consecrated your household to Him? Joshua said, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Is that you? Have you consecrated your heart to Him? Caleb said, As for me, I have wholly followed the Lord. Is that you? Have you consecrated your household? Have you consecrated your heart? What about your hands, your head? Have you consecrated your life to the cause of Christ? Now we talk about the early church. They were sanctified? Yes. They were unified? Absolutely. But thirdly, they multiplied. They multiplied because of a proclamation of the Lord and because of consecration to the Lord. If we do what they did, then we become what they were. And if we become what they were, then we're pleasing to God. And if we do what they did, the church today can grow and abound. You believe that? I believe it. Why? Because that's what the Bible says. So the model church, something to talk about, universally speaking, the model church, individually. Are you a model Christian? When people see you, do they see Jesus in your life? Is that what they see? Do people see in your life a representation of the Son of God? Peter said that Christ left us an example that we should follow in His steps. Can you say to people today, be a follower of me, even as I also am of Christ? We read about the model church, But we need to be model Christians as well, don't we? So today I ask you, are you a Christian? Have you done what they did in the first century? What did they do? They heard the gospel. And based on what they heard, they believed in the Christ. They responded with a penitent heart. They were baptized into Christ so that they could contact the blood of Christ, whereby they were added to the body of Christ. And as Jesus said in Revelation chapter 2, verse 10, if we're faithful until death, the promise is the crown of life, the Stephanos, the victor's crown. And let me tell you what. If you're among the saved and you're faithful to God, you have before you the crown of life. If you're here today, maybe your life's not what it ought to be. Maybe you're not a model Christian. And you need the prayers of the church. Look, we'd be happy to pray with you and for you. God will abundantly pardon John said, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God is a loving, gracious God, and He will forgive. So whatever your need may be, we encourage you to come as we stand and sing.